Let's begin with a word of prayer. My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. You know the old joke about a, what's the difference between a wedding and a funeral? There's one less person at the funeral. These are the jokes. You got to stick with them. Okay. So today's sermon is called Invitations and Excuses. Who doesn't like to get an invitation in the mail? In fact, I couldn't find mine, so I had to run to Rite Aid across the street this morning and, and buy this. This is a, a blank invitation. But how can I put this? When, when you get one of these in the mail and you're not expecting it, you get a wedding invitation, perhaps it's written out to Reverend and Mrs. that name, Madison, and Who's getting married? There's a little bit of excitement there. And you zip in and you're like, oh, isn't that? And then you, I don't like this part. You have to pick your dinner like three months in advance. How am I going to know if I want prime rib or chicken cacciatore three months in advance? That's, that's a game time decision. All right? But you put it in your calendar and you send off the response card because you don't want to get that angry email that says, are you coming, right? And then the day arrives. And it's been a long week. And work was tough, and family was tough, and oh, the lawn has to be cut before we go. And you're all of a sudden regretting that you said yes. Just nod. The people on the recording will know, You've, we've all been there. Why did I say yes? Well, you said yes because you were invited. That's what Jesus is talking about. You can't go unless you're invited. And who's invited? If you were listening to the three stories, everybody's invited. But not everybody knows they're invited. Do you, do you hear the dog chasing its tail in this story? We're all invited, but somebody has to tell you you're invited. And if you're invited and you get in, you're blessed. We have the opportunity to invite and bless everybody we know. Then the question is, have you invited and blessed everybody you know? Which brings us to the second half of the title. We've got invitations and we've got excuses. A pastor many years ago put this in his bulletin. And it was called No Excuse Sunday. In order to make it possible for everyone to attend church next week, we're planning a special No Excuse Sunday. Cots will be placed in the chapel for those who say, Sunday is my only day for sleeping in. Eye drops will be available for those whose eyes are tired from watching television too late on Saturday night. We will have steel helmets for those who believe the roof will cave in if they entered a church building. Blankets will be furnished for those who complain that the church is too cold. Fans will be on hand for those who say the church is too hot. We will have hearing aids for those members who say the speakers don't talk loud enough. And there will be cotton for those who say the speakers talk too loudly. Scorecards will be available for those who wish to count the hypocrites. We guarantee that some relatives will be present for those who like to go visiting on Sunday. There will be TV dinners available for those who claim they can't go to church and cook dinner at the same time. 
one section of the church will have some trees and grass for those who see God in nature, especially on the golf course. The chapel will be decorated with both Christmas poinsettias and Easter lilies to create a familiar environment for those who have never seen church without them. <laughs> Face masks, distancing markers, rapid tests, digital thermometers will be available for those concerned about COVID, and a bank of LCD screens will be available for those who enjoy watching services online. Now, were you listening to this story? There were three excuses. They were invited to the party, and one guy said, I bought some oxen, and I have to go see how they work. One guy said, I'm married, and my wife won't let me go. And the other one said, I bought a field, and uh, I want to go have a look at it. How, did you hear that? Those are crazy excuses. It's like saying, I just bought a Mercedes, and I'm going to test drive it after I paid for it. Or, and I don't know about you, but if I'm invited someplace, I'm going to talk to my wife about it. But Vicky does not have the power to like make me not go, especially in a society where the man was supposed to be to the head of the household. And the last guy bought a field and never went to see it before he paid for it. I'd like to sell him to London Bridge or some swamp land in Florida. Uh, there's a great youth camp song about this. It goes... I cannot come, I cannot come to the table, don't trouble me now. I have married a wife, I have bought me a cow, I have fields and commitments that cost a pretty sum. Pray hold me excused, I cannot come. Of course, teenagers are involved in this, so they change the words. I cannot come, I cannot come to the table, don't trouble me now. I have bought me a wife. I have married a cow. I have... Yes. Can you imagine a hundred teenagers at youth camp screaming that at the top of their lungs? Anyway, Jesus is pointing out that any excuse we give to God for not going is a silly excuse. Now, I don't know if you know this, but you can go online now and find anything. Uh... I found one website that has the 10 best excuses for not hanging out with your friends. So your friends call up and they say, hey, let's all hang out together. Number 10 is, well, tell them the truth. <laughs> I need some me time. Number nine is, well, I, I already have plans that day. Number eight is, well, my, and you could fill in the blank, my parents, my wife, my boss, whatever, said no. Number seven, I'm really trying to save some money. Or number six, I'm running out of funds. Number five, I haven't recovered from last night. Number four, my cat is very sick. Number three, I have to be up early tomorrow. Number two, I just got called into work tonight. Or number one, I'm not feeling so well today. So if you don't know what excuse you want to use, you can find them on the internet. You've got a list of ten. But we're not talking about hanging out with your friends. We're talking about a relationship with God. And I'm sorry to say that people have excuses for not entering into a relationship with God. I didn't label these with numbers. I just wrote them down because some of them are heartbreaking. There are some people who believe that they are not good enough to be a Christian. 
And God won't want them that way. Well, I've got news for that person. All of us are not good enough to be in a relationship with God. In fact, my Bible says, for all have sinned. And is there anybody in the room who's not in all? No, we're all in all. Number two is, well, I'm not that bad. You've heard people say this. God's going to let everybody in because, you know, we're not the Hitlers and the Stalins and all that. We're all going to get in because, well, we're not that bad. Well, I refer you to excuse number one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Third on my list is this. I'm so bad, God won't want me. Well, my Bible says while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And who doesn't love John 3.16? For God so loved the world, everybody, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes on him shall not perish. Some people say, in fact, St. Augustine wrote this in in some of his writings. He said, you know what, I'm not going to make a commitment right now. I want to live a little. And then when I'm done sinning, sowing my wild oats, well, then I'll make a decision for God. But all of us in this room know that Every day is not promised to you. Life can change in a finger snap. Some people say, you know what? Being a Christian, being in a relationship with God, I have to give so much stuff up. I I like my life the way it is. I don't want to stop doing, and, and you can fill in the blanks. I'm not going to be in a relationship. Some people say, well, you know what? I tried that Christian thing. Or I love that people always say, well, I've read the Bible from cover to cover. Doesn't work for me. Some people say, well, you know what? I'm not too concerned. You may have seen the bumper sticker. It says, hell is going to be a party. Uh, I have a friend who has a t-shirt. It says, some people think hell's going to be a party, but really it's a barbecue. And it's got the devil with the hibachi and all these little people cooking on it. You got to work with youth pastors more often. <laughs> we have great t-shirts. Some people say, and and this is one I really want you to think about. Some people say, you know what? I want to get my life in order. And then I'm going to give it to God. But uh, it's not ready yet. It's like a a, a Lego or a model or a rector set. We have to put together just the right pieces so we can give it to God. So there's really three lessons from the banquets here. And I I want you to hear this. And there were three banquets. There was one actual banquet. And there were two metaphorical banquets. So the actual banquet, and I, how can I put this? When I was a little boy, I thought people at big dinners watched you. Because when I got home, I always got corrected for whatever social faux pas I made while I was at the dinner. You used the wrong fork, you put the napkin here, you ate that the wrong way. I mean, and I'm not complaining about it, I grew up in a British family where manners and the way you hold yourself were very important. And it was not an abusive correction, but there always seemed to be a correction when we got home. Well, and and I get up and think, I followed all the rules that I knew, and now they were sharing with me rules that I didn't know. So there was an actual dinner, that's verse 1 in the passage Danny read, where Jesus was invited to dinner on Sabbath at a Pharisee's house. And did you hear the last thing it said is they were watching him? Well, guess what? He was watching them. 
And uh, that when you go to a big dinner in, the, in Jesus' time, there wasn't that table by the door where you have to find your name on a little tiny card and it tells you what table you're at. I dread that table. I dread where I have to sit. I, in fact, today I'm racing off to a wedding. I have a wedding in Brigantine at 1.15 today. And there's going to be that table with the little cards. And Pastor Wiki's already nodding. She knows we're coming. There's three kinds of people they sit at that table. One person thinks that you are not near as good as their pastor. Your church is not as good as their church. And they spend the entire wedding reception telling you how wonderful their church is. The second person is the exact opposite. Oh, pastor, I really enjoyed your sermon at the wedding. And my pastor never preaches like that. And our choir never sings. And they're going to tell you all the things that are wrong with their church. And then, for some reason, they, they put this person there, the uh, newly reformed sinner. And they just sort of sit like a Puritan. They almost need the big black hat and the white collar. Just, and they're, they're, they feel like I'm watching them. Right? Don't you dare get up and dance. You'll go straight to hell. Don't you dare drink. You'll go straight. To... That's what they're hearing. I'm not saying it. And uh, most pastors I know don't want to go to the wedding reception because that's the exciting part we have to look forward to. And then they put you right next to the DJ speaker. Oh. Right? Boom, 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 boom. And of course, as soon as the speaker goes off, the person talking to you says the most inappropriate thing because they didn't think anybody could hear them. So Jesus was invited to one of these. And in, in Jesus' time, the table was long and the people at the head of the table were the most important. And then it was, you were seated in order of importance. So I want you to get this picture in your mind. All of these first century Jews with their robes hiked up and their sandals ready Right? And there's a, a little rope across the door. And as soon as they moved the rope, they were running to get the good seats at the table. Now, it might not have been that obvious, but it was close. They were more interested in who saw them at the dinner than how they behaved or who they talked to. They wanted to be at the head of the table. It, it works very much like an opera house. And I know that some of you have been to the Opera House, at least to see a show. If you've noticed, it's shaped like a horseshoe, and right to the stage, the boxes actually are angled towards the audience. People actually sat in those in the olden days so people would see them, you know, in the next day to be in the papers. Uh, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Elmore were at the opera last night. <laughs> Mrs. Elmore wore a lovely red beaded dress. Remember those days? They, they went to be seen. Jesus said, the whole idea of my banquet is not to be seen. The idea of my banquet is to get invited and then to invite other people. Lesson number one is this. What people think is inconsequential compared to what God thinks about you. What people think is inconsequential compared to what God thinks about you. God prays that everybody in the town of Cherry Hill, in the state of New Jersey, in the country of the United States, in the whole world, walk through that door. He doesn't care what they wear. He doesn't care who they're married to. 
He doesn't care what they did last night or did this morning. He wants them to be invited to the banquet. It's not our job to correct those things. It's the Holy Spirit's job to correct those things. He wants everybody invited to the banquet. The story's told of a, a man who got a general invitation like this to a wedding, and he didn't really have anything special to wear, so he wore his work clothes to the wedding. Well, they threw him out. They said, you're, you're not dressed well enough for this wedding. Be gone, right? Shoo. So he went over to the equivalent of men's warehouse. I used to love those commercials where they say, you know, I, I got to the wedding and my baggage didn't make it on the plane and men's warehouse tailored it and got me to the wedding looking good within an hour. That's exactly what he did. And he came back and he was looking good. All the hems were straight. All the tapers and the curves were matched. And he walked in and said, oh, right up to the front he sat. He sat right next to the, the king for the, the meal. And they brought out the soup. They sat in front of him. He picked up the soup and he poured it down the front of his shirt. And everybody stopped and they looked and that was a little strange, but okay. Then they brought the salad. He started taking handfuls of the salad and stuffing it in his pockets. When it came time for the main course, the king said, stop. <laughs> we don't want to know what you're going to do with your prime rib and your baked potato. What is going on? And the man said, well, you know, I came to this banquet in my regular clothes and I wasn't good enough to get in. So I went and I got this suit and the suit got me all the way up to the front. So I figured the suit should eat first. God sees the heart. Remember the story of Samuel and David. There were tall brothers. There were handsome brothers. There were strong brothers. God said, nope, none of those are who I want. It's the heart of that one I want. God wants your heart. Lesson number one was what people think is inconsequential. Lesson number two is be glad you're invited no matter where you sit. What did they call the guy that graduated last in his medical school class? Doctor. Doctor. What do they call the guy who sits at the end of the table at God's banquet? Saved. No matter where you sit, you're in the banquet. We are Jesus's if we accept the invitation and attend the banquet. Be glad you're invited no matter where you sit. That reminds me, you know, I like to collect jokes about heaven. And I, I'm sure I've told you this one. It's one of my favorites. The guy shows up and he finds out that everybody in heaven gets a mode of transportation based on their faith production. And he gets a bicycle. Well, Billy Graham got, you know, a stretch limo. And this other guy got a Cadillac and he got a bicycle and he's not real happy. And St. Peter says, well, come back and see me in a week. Next week, the guy comes zipping up on his, mic, his bicycle, and St. Peter says, what happened? What happened? He says, I just saw my pastor on roller skates. <laughs> but we're all invited, and we need to accept the invitation. Number three, there is no acceptable excuse to deny God's invitation. I want you to hear that. There's no acceptable excuse 
You can try and try and try. And, and be honest, we live in the world of excuses. If you can come up with a good enough excuse, you can get out of almost anything in today's society. <laughs> a friend of mine has a fake research paper written about the correlation between the deaths of grandmothers and final exams. Having been a college professor for 25 years, I will tell you this is true. More grandmothers die on the day of my exam than any other day. Now, poor Pastor Whitney is like, really? No, they're lying, right? But they go and they go, uh, or they'll send you an email or a text or have a friend stop by and they go, oh, their grandmother died. So the article is written as if uh, the grandmothers are dying because they're so worried about the grades. So then the end is you just shouldn't tell grandmom how you're doing until it's over. But we live in the world of excuse. But there is no excuse to get into the kingdom of God. We're all sinners. We're all welcome. We're all invited. Now what might heaven look like one of my favorite, and this is not a joke, it's one of my favorite pictures, though, is a man, why do we, they always happens to a man, and they have a dream, and they go to heaven, and St. Peter says, let me show you around, and he takes him to hell first. And hell is this long banquet table with big bowls of ice cream, and everybody has a spoon strapped to their arm, but the spoon is so far out, they can't reach their mouth. And all the people are trying to get the ice cream in their mouth, and nobody's getting any ice cream. Man thinks, well, that's pretty strange. And then he goes to heaven, and it looks exactly the same. Long banquet table, big bowls of delicious ice cream, long spoon on each other's hand. And some of you have heard the story. I can see it in your face. What's happening? They're feeding one another. There's going to be a banquet. You are invited. And if you've already accepted the invitation, then you have to invite the other people to come. You are invited, point number one. Number two, set your excuses aside. Number three, join the party. Have you thought about this banquet? There's great music, there's great food, there's great fellowship. The prayers of the people fill the house like smoke. It is the place to be. This is the party that we're going to be in forever and ever. And if you've already accepted the invitation, hear this. It's not enough. You have to, have to invite other people into the party. Now, we've got an event coming up on September 24th. King's Fest. What a great opportunity. Our pastor preaches sermons that are usually between 17 and 22 minutes long. This one just hit 23, so I have to apologize. But I like to tell folks they are Bible-based, they're interesting to listen to, and they have a challenge at the end. We have great music. The air conditioner works most days, and we know the heater works. It's a comfortable place. We've got nice people. We need to fill the banquet hall. What does that mean? That means A, B, C, D. You've heard this before. We need to admit that we need a Savior. We need to believe that Jesus is our Savior. And then we need to confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. And my friend puts a D on the end. He says, do it now. No excuses. Amen.